0: especially in the lives of animals. She is the founder of PETA and she is constantly doing great things. And I am in awe of her and it is such an honor to meet her and get to talk to her for the first time. Please welcome Ingrid Newkirk. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to little old me. Oh, Chef AJ, you're changing the world. Thank you very much for having me on, I'm delighted. Well, it, it is my pleasure. I, I, you know, I mentioned you, I really am in awe of what you do because I'm I'm basically a chicken, like when it comes to doing the kind of things you do because I've listened to so many podcasts and uh, of, of that you've given and just hearing the way you talk about the abuse, it's like, I can't deal with it. I, and I close my eyes to, I don't close my heart to it but I close my ears and my eyes because as somebody who's been vegan for 43 years, I don't even understand why we should, why we even need a PETA. Do you know what I'm saying? It it makes no sense to me that we live in a world where we need this agency. People should know that animals are not ours to eat, wear and experiment on. And I would think that's kind of obvious, but I guess it's not.
1: No, it's not, unfortunately. We live in an unfair world, a world that's pretty much upside down if you ask me. And what should be happening is we should be teaching uh, in school, not how to make money, but how to get along with each other, how not to bully. And that means all others. I mean, all these discriminators we have against our people of other religions or races or gender or whatever it is, it's of course very much against others of other species. You might love the dog or know that it's wrong to be cruel to the horse. But then go ahead and eat the cow and the chicken, the poor chickens, who are wonderful individuals. And you might do other things, experiment on animals, not see that you can make a difference. And you can. You can change it all. It's very, very easy in our world. But yes, that's why Peter exists, to say lots of cruelty over here, lots of choices over there. Let's help you.
0: You know, I'm going to be having Melanie Joy on the show, not until February, unfortunately. But I never understood that either. You know, we were raised Orthodox Jewish. And yes, I did eat meat growing up until the age of 17 when I left home and I said no more. And I ate very little. I knew it was wrong, but, you know, I didn't have money and that's what my mom served, that kind of thing. But I never understood that the speciesism involved, like what makes one different or better than the other. And people in the United States, they love their companion animals dogs and cats. In other countries, they will eat those animals.
1: Yes. And in fact, in China, the dog eating festival is just beginning. It's going on now. Um, And people are writing to us and saying, what are you doing to stop it? And of course, we do have people on the ground in China. I don't believe in buying the dogs to save them because that just puts money in the butcher's pocket and makes them buy more. But I think that even in China, we see, especially young people, they're changing their opinion. They're stopping the trucks and pulling the dogs off. But when you think about it, it's a cultural thing. In Taiwan, I have actually been in a dog meat factory and watched them being strung up for winter soup. They think it makes you potent and wards off colds and what have you. It doesn't, of course. But I've also been in a slaughterhouse for chickens, and one for horses, and one for cows. And I must say that it doesn't make a hill of beans difference. All those animals, their eyes are wide as saucers. They all, every single one of them, tries to turn around on the slaughter line or on the, in the slaughter chute and head out the door. The noise is terrible for them. The smells, which they're so sensitive to, are awful. They know what's ahead. And the fact that if you buy, knowing now, and I grew up eating meat too, knowing now that if you pay in the supermarket for a cut of meat, you are paying people to make those animals scared out of their wits and to die very badly when we have this huge wealth of vegan choices, this taste like everything now that's vegan.
0: You know, I can, I don't, I'm using the word almost, I can almost understand why some people feel they need to eat meat because it's been indoctrinated and they feel they won't be healthy without it. But all the other forms of animal abuse, like testing for makeup or animal experimentation or circuses, this this is what I really don't know, or fur coats. Like some, there, there has to be something that everybody can get behind, don't you think? Because it makes me embarrassed to be part of this species that treats other species so bad. I mean, you know, it's, it's like racism towards species.
1: It's absolutely racism towards species because the reason we discriminate against other animals is because they're not exactly like us. We might not understand their culture. And believe me, they all have their own culture, their languages, they all communicate beautifully with each other. We don't understand a single word of dog or dolphin, but they pay attention to us. Um, But yes, there are, I think, these fringe issues which don't affect what you're having for dinner. They don't affect what you're putting on your feet and they don't affect a lot of things in your life. So it's easy. It's just like in the old days when Greenpeace first started. Greenpeace was very smart. They condemned people in Japan for going whaling. And everybody in the US and Europe joined and said, yes, that's terrible. Because obviously none of us eat whale steaks. So it didn't matter to us. We just thought that's awful. But what we're asking of course is don't just look at these fringe things that don't affect you very much. No one needs to see an elephant wearing a headdress standing on their head, being chained up behind the circus. No one needs to eat foie gras, for example, from force feeding ducks. No one needs to wear fur. That's all understood now, even though it wasn't always. But what we have to do is be grown up. I think we have to be responsible and we have to know whereas it was a few thousand animals in the circus in the US, it is billions of animals, each an individual who's going down the slaughter line. And it's so easy. We just need to say, I don't care if it's a little inconvenient to start being a vegan. I know I have a moral responsibility, a personal responsibility. I'm just going to try it because it's every cookbook, every recipe, every taste available, let's do it. No clothing from animals, no meat, flesh from animals. Let's say they're not ours, you know, they're not ours.
0: You have a lot of fans watching, Ingrid, like Linda Middlesworth. I adore you, Ingrid, and your phenomenal work. Lots of hearts, things like that. Just so you know, your your work is so much appreciated. You know, you would think with the pandemic, people would have gotten the message because if we didn't eat animals, we wouldn't be having this pandemic right now.
1: It's so funny, Steph AJ, you know, uh, we have a, 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 a billboard that we're putting up all over the place. And it's this cute little uh, block of tofu with a face on it. <laughs> and I think for Christmas, he's going to have a candy cane and a Santa hat, but it's, he's this jolly little tofu fellow. And he says, tofu never caused a pandemic. And people are saying, there goes Peter again. I mean, as if this has anything to do with eating meat. And you think, have you read anything? Have you looked at the news? Everybody heard, unless you lived in a cave, you know, in Mesopotamia, everybody heard that these live markets, and we've been in them on every continent, and in Asia, almost in every country, Vietnam, Thailand, China, India, there are live monkeys next to live bats, next to live ducks, next to civet cats, next to buckets of live fish, snakes, cats, dogs, the works, and all those things that they carry, those viruses they carry, cross-contaminate. People were eating bats. And that's like what she was saying is, how could you eat a dog, you know? We're all shocked. How could you eat a bat? but how could you eat this beautiful fluffy duck who's just looking at you totally innocently? or this poor monkey who is the same kind as we primate like us, intelligence, the eyes looking at everything. And yet there are the roast hands of these monkeys in these markets. And Chef AJ, it is not just in Asia, as we know. There are about 70 live markets in New York there are others in San Francisco, others in Los Angeles. We know this is where pandemics start. In the live markets, on the factory farms, it's from interference with animal life. We need to stop it and leave them alone or we're all going to die. I mean, it's the, basically that's what's ahead
0: of us. Well, what, what do you think it is, Ingrid? Are people just, they just don't have the compassion? Do they really believe that without animal flesh, they, they'll die? Is it the addiction to the, the dairy? and meat? I mean, like, I, I, I really don't get it. And like I say, I'm embarrassed for my whole species, to be honest.
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes, I think our species has a lot to account for. I mean, we can't even look after our own species We've got war and discrimination and children being separated from migrant mothers. We do such shameful things to each other. So it may be a stretch for a lot of people to go beyond our species, our own species, or even to our own species. Convenience is one part, but that's gone away. Because even in the smallest town with one general store, you can find vegan things now, especially plant milks oat milk, soy milk, you name it, almond milk, it's all there. I think part of it is if you're in a community, maybe in rural America um, or a frat house where everybody thinks, oh, well, this is what you do, there's a go along mentality. If you're in Los Angeles, you can't move without seeing a sign that says, vegan Chinese, vegan this, vegan that. And so your community is solidly behind you. But in other parts of the country, you have to stand out a little bit. You have to make a kind of move to be vegan. And I just say to everybody, but you know you should. Be, Be strong, show others, others will come along with you. If you're the first person to say something that's right, even if everybody else was silent on it, others will be encouraged by you and believe me, Grocery stores want to sell you things. So if you go and see the manager of the store and say, Hey, would you mind? I'd like some Gardein um, fish filet. I'd like some uh, chicken nuggets made of soy. They'll, they'll stock them for you. Believe it or not, they will.
0: You know, Paul McCartney said, if slaughterhouses had windows, everyone would be a vegetarian. Yet it's my understanding that it's illegal now to film inside those. So how, Like, Do you think like if there were commercials on television that showed these kind of abuses, first of all, would they be allowed and would it even impact people or are their hearts so closed that they just wouldn't care?
1: I think people do care. People say to us, please don't show us those videos. Can't you do it some other way without showing those videos? But experience shows us that even though we have all these lighthearted dancing tofu things and what have you going on, really what sways people most is having seen with their own eyes what's happening to animals in the clothing business in entertainment, in the laboratories particularly, that breaks people's hearts. So you have to show that no, television stations have no obligation whatsoever to show this and they won't because they're going to be advertising Butterball at Thanksgiving. They're advertising, you know, so-and-so's hot dogs and what have you. and milk. They will not show any gore, even after uh, you go into the adult time, the evening time. It's not going to happen. So we're, we can go online, and we do go online, and we ask people go to peter.org Lots of fun things, lots of great recipes, lots of wonderful different kinds of new clothing materials, lots of alternatives to cosmetics tested on animals, campaigns to get involved in, but also videos that will stop you in your tracks and make you think, I can no longer support anything that pays for this. And you can send those on to your friends. So yeah, I think if people don't see, they don't change. And the reason I say that so um, securely is that people say, you know this, they say, don't show me because I like my steak. In other words, they know. And that is an admission that they really realize that they need to change and we need to help them. One thing I do say all the time is please, if you're a vegan, don't just say, I'm a vegan. Go feed somebody who isn't. Buy them foods that they're not buying for themselves so they wouldn't taste them. And maybe they'll get hooked on something vegan. Feed a meat eater and a dairy eater, please.
0: You know, that's a great suggestion, and that's something I have done my whole life, because right now, obviously, I'm not traveling, but before, I've always traveled, and I've often taken seminars, not, not just plant-based things, but sometimes I'll take a seminar on public speaking or stand-up comedy, so I'm with what I call the others, people that aren't vegan, and every time we've broken for lunch and they've told us what restaurants to go to, I would stand up and say, anybody that will eat vegan, I will pay, and, I've, and that's worked.
1: That is so good, you know. Craig Morganson um, had a travel agency in Las Vegas, and he always said to his staff, and he had, I think, 100 people, he would say, when you go out to lunch today, if you bring me your receipt back, and it's for a vegan meal, I'll reimburse you, which I thought was just terrific. But you know, I, you can do this all the time. There was a woman in, a, in our dog park, And we just got to talking and she'd never tried, hadn't even thought of trying a plant-based milk. And I said, hang on a minute. And while she was walking her dog, I went and got her some. And I said, just make sure it's really cold before you drink it. Because if it's their first time, you know. And so she took it and I saw her later and she said, that was really good. Um, I was walking along the river near the Peter Norfolk office There was a woman fishing and she had these three prong gaffs that she was using. And I said to her, excuse me, I said, I just had this cancer cell removed from my lip and I know how much it hurts even with anesthesia, but those fish, they've got very sensitive lips. And she said, oh, but I like fish. And I said, yeah, I like fish too, but I like them swimming. We had a little chat I went to the grocery store, came back with Guardian fish filet. I love those things. I'm a fish and chip addict. And I gave them to her. She put them in her ice bucket in a plastic bag. And I said, just try them. Just try them. I've no idea. She may not have liked them, but at least you give it a whirl, you know?
0: When you, when you engage with people, it's never like in a yelling or shaming way then.
1: Not usually, although I must say there have been occasions in the old days, especially at an airport, if I see somebody wearing a full length coat, um, I'm ageist. So if they're old, I really don't say anything nasty to them because I think, you know, you grew up thinking that was a, a good thing. And anyway, you're probably not going to get another one. So forgive me for those thoughts. But if it's somebody who isn't old in a fur, I will always say something. And on occasion, they will be nasty back to you. And then it's hard not to say something cutting. But I do start out always saying things like, if it seems appropriate, oh, you're so beautiful, you look so gorgeous. Why are you ruining that look with a fur? You know, a lot of people are looking at that. They won't say anything to you. But they're thinking what I'm thinking, which is, doesn't she realize how cruel that is and how out of touch it is? So please. And then, you know, a lot of times people will just say, oh, it's fake, <laughs> even when it isn't, because they know it's wrong.
0: Absolutely. What year did you found PETA?
1: 1980. Oh, we're 40 years old this year, which is why I wrote Animal Kind, the book, so that it would be our 40th anniversary book.
0: That's amazing. I'll go look for it on Amazon and and link to it in a second. I wish you could have found it at three years sooner because I was a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania studying to be a veterinarian, but I joke instead I became a vegetarian because when I got into biology class, they wanted us to dissect the frog and the cat. And I just said, this is, I mean, I didn't have any recourse. I just said, this is wrong. And so they failed me.
1: Oh, bless your heart. You know, we've had several investigations at the University of Pennsylvania. Had you become gone on that track to be a veterinarian, you would have seen probably the baboon lab. We busted that soon after we started and they would strap these baboons into accelerators and smash their heads in supposed football helmet crash tests. And we managed to close them down. We got hold of the tapes that showed what they were doing to those baboons. And if anybody, A.J. thinks that, oh, they're very kind in the labs over and over and over again. We can assure them they're not, these baboons who were brain damaged, bless their hearts. The experimenters would hold up their hands and wave at the camera and they would say things like, ha ha, bet Peter will never get hold of this or we're lucky Peter will never get hold of this. So we were very happy to close those University of Pennsylvania experiments down. But now we have very good vets, veterinarians who are very kind, who work with us on a million different things.
0: Are those kind of things allowed on television at night or they won't let you show those either?
1: I don't think they will. Um, At the moment, we're fighting Um, some.
0: I can't um, hear you. Can you guys hear her? Her sound just went away.
1: Are we here? Can you hear me? Can you
0: guys hear Ingrid? Can you hear me? Charles, I can't hear Ingrid. Maybe unplug me here. I I can't hear her. Can
1: you hear me? This is always, technology is a wonderful thing.
0: Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I'm so sorry, I apologize. I just, I lost sound from you after I said, are you allowed to show those things on nighttime television, the, the laboratory findings? Sometimes a lot of people
1: would wish they'd lost my sound, (laughs) but but here I am again. (laughs) Um, At the moment, we are actually combating national institutes of health experiments where this horrible experiment is they take um, uh, monkeys, rhesus monkeys, put them in a box that's basically just a tiny bit, inches bigger than their own bodies with a solid front. And then when they open the front, suddenly there are plastic spiders and snakes in front of the monkeys. Monkeys are deathly afraid. I mean, it's a prime, primal uh, a fear of these. And uh, the experimenter, Elizabeth Murray, interferes with their, the monkey's brains. And she's been doing it for about 40 years. And she gets millions of dollars from our taxes. And it's defended by NIH. What she is looking for is anybody's guess. She has never found anything. I can promise you that from looking at her studies that has been beneficial. So it's just, I think sometimes these labs are places where experimenters with bizarre needs to hurt others go. And I hate to say it, but I think it's really true. And we have a litany of examples. We show that on social media We send it to Capitol Hill to members of Congress, and we ask everybody, please talk to your representatives and ask them, cut off funds, defund NIH animal experiments. That's what needs to be defunded.
0: Yeah, absolutely, but some people, the ones you're talking about, obviously are cruel and unnecessary. I think they're all unnecessary, but some people think that if it's for human health, that it's justified. Like Joy, who's watching live is saying, I'd like to hear how advances in our surgical methods can be done without research on animals. This is where I'm conflicted.
1: Oh, don't be conflicted. It's okay. The more you look at it, the more you'll be encouraged that animal experiments are in the past. You can't undo the past, but when most people get their surgical technique, not from cutting up animals, but from trial and error in the past, And people have used things, today we have simulators and they're just like human flesh. You can cut them. You were talking by the way about dissection earlier on. We've just spent $150,000 of Peter's money to help come up with this thing called sin frog. And instead of a live frog that a child would cut up in a class, although you have a choice not to these days, most places, you, you use your scalpel and you cut through what's like real skin. We have simulators now that we have persuaded the military to use for battle wound operations. And these mannequins with this realistic human skin, they bleed, they vomit, they breathe. You can kill them because you do the wrong thing in your practice surgery on them. But unlike the monkey or the dog or the cat, Um, You can revive your mannequin and bring it back and start all over again. At Harvard, years ago, there was a wonderful medical student who said, I don't want to learn on animals. And bless her heart, she worked with her professor and they came up with a computer simulator. And nowadays, you know, a lot of surgery is done in the operating room with um, laser and with a computer and so on. I mean, medical schools have basically done away with the use of animals in those kinds of labs. So don't be discouraged. Be encouraged that time has moved on. We have technology. We have all sorts of things we never had. And so there's no excuse anymore to have animals in the lab for anything. But please also know millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars go into these psychology experiments that, and awful torture experiments on animals, giving them alcohol, giving them cocaine, while you just try to get somebody into an alcohol or drug treatment center and they have to wait six months to a year to get in. But there's enough drugs to give to these animals in labs and, and the list is endless.
0: How, how do you I, I mean like if I see any kind of torture abuse or hear of it I mean I'm just I'll just cry and I i can't I'm not functional for days when I I talked to you before we got on the show or some of the things I see in the city which are often culturally based but how do you get up at, how are you how can you do this I mean God bless you I don't how are you able to to do it the work you do well, I how, have how, coping I have coping mechanisms I do
1: cry a lot I mean that's to be quite honest I cry a lot When I know that my staff has just sent a new undercover video that I have to look at, and they, bless their hearts, have reduced it to the bits I need to see, not the hours and hours of the poor investigators standing there and filming and not being able to do anything to stop it, I have to steal myself. I think, okay, I'm going to have to do this, and I get the right time, and I just force myself to do it. But what encourages me is I know that if I just get so depressed and just debilitated by this, nothing will change. What keeps me going is looking back for not only the animal rights movement, civil rights, women's rights, child labor, all these things had to change because people said something, they did something, they educated others. So the thing that keeps me going is knowing they succeeded because they did. They turned their despair their disappointment at the human race into action, or they did stuff. And then I look forward and I think, now we need to do this and now we need to do that. And by gum, I'm gonna try my best to do it. And I see the results and, and then you can feel a bit better.
0: So what can we do? short of having to be on the front lines and looking at these videos, how can we help? What is the best, I mean, you know, being vegan for 43 years, I know I've helped save those animals, but how can I help save the ones in the labs and in the circuses? And then what, what more can I do and everybody else? Tell us. Well,
1: there are a million things that you can do and in an Animal Kind, I try to set out the basics. And please remember, Peter is here to help. We don't want to just make people sad by showing them gory videos and wretched things that are happening to animals. We also want to facilitate swapping those old habits that hurt animals for new ones that don't. So we're here to be mentors, to have resources. Come and ask us and we will help. But I always say, yes, all the animal groups need money, of course, but you can give say $1,000 to an animal rights group. That's fantastic, that'll allow them to, by undercover cameras and more stuff. But it's no good really if in your own life, in a year, you're going out and buying things that cause cruelty for the table, for your snacks, for your shoes, for your coat, for your handbag, for your cosmetics, for your floor cleaner, entertaining yourself by having a parrot on your shoulder if we ever go traveling again um, or being having your photo taken with a tiger cub or you know riding an elephant or a horse or a donkey or whatever you're doing so your personal life every single day there are things that you can do that actively protect rather than hurt animals and we have lists of everything on our website Cruelty free cosmetics, cruelty free clothing, and everybody because of consumer demands, the power of the purse, all these people are coming up with new things every day that you can do. It's dissection, but you know, it's everything. But also, please, please feed people, educate people, share videos with people, never be silent if someone is saying or doing something that harms another. Always speak up because what a shame to go to the end of your life and not have used the power of your voice, of your typing fingers.
0: Be part of everything that you possibly can. Do you think that that, this, that if we reach people younger, this will make a difference or are people just gonna be who they are? Because you can't really teach somebody not to be an asshole, you know?
1: Sometimes <laughs> you can actually. I, there was a man in Washington who years and years ago, before Peter, when I was a volunteer at the Humane Society, called me one day. He had come across a dog dying on the uh, Beltway, and he it was the days of pay phones, and he had to leave the dog, go and find a pay phone, call the police, try to find which jurisdiction he was in, and it was hopeless, and he said, I love dogs and I want to help them. Will you work with me to set up an emergency hotline for this entire area? One number people can call. So I did, but he made terrible fun of me. He said, you're a vegetarian. That's just a fad. That's so stupid. And he really, he was everything you would think would never change. When he died a few years ago, because that was 40 years ago, This man, who I never thought there was a prayer for, had raised his son vegan, he had been an NRA spokesperson, he had stopped fishing and hunting, he got rid of his guns. I honestly think there's hope for almost everyone. It's simply we don't try sometimes, and sometimes it takes a lot for a message to sink in you may have to hear it seven or eight times. So be one of those times or be seven or eight of those times and you never know.
0: Oh. You know, I've heard some people say, well, if you're not vegan for the animals, you shouldn't be vegan. And I don't <laughs> think the animals care why we're not eating them. And I've noticed that the people that are vegan for ethical reasons, they're always gonna be vegan pretty much. They don't, they, they're not gonna eat an animal to save their life. But I've also noticed that since Forks Over Knives came out in 2011 and many more documentaries consequently, many people have gone vegan you know, for their health, which you, know, you can say, well, that's kind of selfish, you didn't care before. But then what happens is as they stop eating animals, their heart becomes more open to the other reasons that people become vegan. Have you found that to be true?
1: Absolutely. And we're a selfish species, even when we think we're not. So I mean, for the animals, one day that someone doesn't eat animals is a great day or doesn't drink milk or have pizza cheese made of cow's milk. It's a great day. We should be rejoicing in every day. In our office, there is somebody in the marketing department who years ago, his sister was an ethical vegan, and he used to mock her make fun of her one day he woke up and he realized it was her birthday and he was a good brother but he hadn't bought her anything so he thought what shall I do and he decided okay so he went to see her and he said whatever her name was I've decided for your birthday I'm going to be vegan for two weeks and she was overjoyed well after the two weeks he felt better he thought it was pretty good. He stayed with the diet, and that opened his eyes to what happens to animals in traveling shows, roadside zoos, all manner of things. And now today, I mean, he's an ethical vegan because he stopped being defensive.
0: Being defense defensive. It's sometimes hard to really care about what happens to animals while you're still eating them.
1: Oh, absolutely! Oh, absolutely yes,
0: yes. Yeah. So but some people don't like peta. Why? I mean, I, I hear. I mean, you know, it's just I, I. I don't know how to defend it. I mean, they just think that some. You know, they they oh they throw blood on people wearing fur coats and I mean I don't know if that's true because I don't follow you close enough. But I mean I'm I'm a big fan. But some people are not apparently.
1: Well, we annoy a lot of people, and uh, <laughs> we uh, get under your skin because we're not talking about whales being killed. Uh, by people in Japan. We're talking about, what are you buying today at the grocery store? What are you wearing today? You know, what are you supporting that hurts animals? So that could be annoying if you don't want to change your habits. We're really hated by everybody in the meat industry, the fur industry, the circus industry. Yesterday, we removed 22, it might have been 23, big cats from one of the Tiger King compounds. And we've just removed another three lions from another of the Tiger King affiliates. Now, all the animals and entertainment people despise us, they hate the ground we work walk on. So they're busy putting things on the internet to try to get the person who does care about animals to think, well, I wonder if they do that, I wonder if they do that. That doesn't sound right. And I say, you know, way before anybody coined the phrase fake news. We've had fake news slung at us, but it doesn't slow us down because we're going to do what we're going to do. And anyone who comes to our website can see exactly what we do. There are no generalities. We put it front and center out there. We do not believe that animals belong to human beings. We think they're other nations, other cultures. They're not ours to eat, to wear, to experiment on, to use for entertainment, to abuse in any way. So you can just know if it's cruel, or if you wouldn't do it to yourself, we're against it, and we don't think it should be done to them. So that is really irritating to a lot
0: of people. Do you think it's okay though for us to have them as companion animals, or even if we're disabled as service dogs, or do you say like, we shouldn't even be living with them in our homes?
1: I don't think we should ever have domesticated them purposely. They may have wandered into the campground, and. We fed them and they barked when someone came around and it was a symbiotic relationship. In all the books I've written on our website, we say, please adopt, don't shop. The fact is there are all these dogs and cats with nowhere to go to except to be put down if nobody wants them. Please don't bring any more into the world. Always spay and neuter. Don't buy from a breeder. Go to the shelter. They're sitting there looking out of the cages. I mean, probably hoping, hoping the person they knew before would come back, but they never will. So hoping to go to a home. If you can give them a home, stop it, stop it. If you can go to give them a home, don't get one, get two if you can afford them. And if you have the patience and the love and they'll keep each other company when you're away because you shouldn't be their sun, their moon and their stars they're individuals. They're not fur babies, as nice as that is. They are individuals, whole, complete with thoughts, feelings, emotions, needs, and they have to fit into our world, and we need to respect them with all our hearts.
0: That's the part that always gets me, is that why is it, why do we live in a world where it's even, a, why we even have to have animal shelters? Why it's okay for somebody to have a pet and then just one day say, I don't want to kill it. You know, I just, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean it. thank oh, you no, for no. doing it. Do, right, I, I it just gets me so upset that this is this is the world we live in where it's okay to torture and abuse animals for fun and profit, you know? And we didn't even talk about pit bull fighting and cock fighting. I mean, I, I, there's, there's just so much, Horrific stuff happening. I don't even know how you're able to do it all. Well, in our
1: we have one office in Norfolk, Virginia that's our East Coast headquarters. We have four um, Winnebagos that are mobile spay and neuter clinics because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You know, it's great to find a home for one dog or one cat. But if you can sterilize somebody else's dog or cat, you will be saving countless numbers of, of them from being born into a world where there are already too many. So we sterilize something like, I'll tell you over a thousand animals a month and all pit bulls are free. Feral cats are low to no cost. Everything is low to no cost. And we give vaccinations. We do amputations if it's an elderly person on a fixed income and they can't afford it for their dog. We do euthanasia too, free of charge because a veterinarian will charge you $200 or more And you should see the people who arrive with their elderly dog wrecked with cancer or their cat with tumors. And they haven't been able to go to the vet to have them put down and they're in pain. We do it free, all of it's free. And of course, we work with local shelters to get placeable animals into homes. Unfortunately, we're in an area, we're just on the border of North Carolina. There's a lot of poverty pockets just over in North Carolina. And if you go to our website, you can see our field workers, there's a video. In fact, we've got a new documentary out called Breaking the Chain. Uh, If you go to our website, you'll see where, where to watch it. It's a full length documentary. And you'll see that most of the animals we run into are what you said, AJ. They are chained out in the back of the property in all weather, maybe with a board against the fence or a tin barrel, which gets full of water and becomes ice in winter. And there they are, or in summer with no shade. And heartworm is endemic in this area. Some of them are in last stage heartworm. Most of them are unsocialized. They don't know what a pat on the head even means. So I urge everybody watch Breaking the Chain, and maybe then you will get behind one of our big campaigns, which is to stop animals from being chained up, deprived of a life, just watching as the whole world goes by them, break the chain.
0: I, I, just, I, the tears. I just don't get why this is allowed. I mean, I don't understand that. I'm gonna ask you this question. And I'm not saying this is true. I'm reading the live question from Lydia. And she says, please ask Ingrid about why PETA funded shelters euthanized more than 10,000 adoptable animals between 1998 and 2003, 85% of the animals that took in were euthanized. Like I said, I'm not saying this as if it's true. That's fine,
1: That's, that's fine. I mean, ask yourself, do you think we would ever euthanize one adoptable animal? If we could adopt the animal, doesn't it make sense? We're animal rights. I mean, that's not even animal rights, it's animal welfare, don't you think? that if there was a chance for that animal, we would have adopted them. Let me tell you what the situation is near us. We are, as I say, uh, just above the North Carolina border where everybody has pits and other dogs on chains, mostly pits. And we work, we provide free dog houses, free straw in winter. We c- counsel people who are decent about how to uh, teach their animals behavioral problems, how to housebreak them and so on. So we work. Nonstop at sterilizing animals, which saves more than any other shelter put all of them put together and keeping them retention in the home if the home is any decent. We work with getting people to get their animals indoors rather than on the chain, but we are what is called the shelter of last resort and I've stood in our parking lot on a Sunday doing something like washing a truck and had three people. Not just one, but three separate people show up and say, can you do something here? Because this dog, I went to the no-kill shelter, and they said they're full. And to come to you, we take in any animal 24-7, 365 days of the year. We never say we're full, put him on the street, or we'll full, put him back on the chain, or whatever. We will take them in. And you can see all those animals or, you know, smattering of them on our videos on the website. But you have to ask yourself, who's putting out that story that they were healthy or adoptable? Because it makes no sense. Yes, sometimes they're aggressive and they're not socialized. They've been eight years on a chain. They're not housebroken. They're not anything. And you can't even adopt all the fluffy puppies in the world. So, yes, sometimes that has to be done. But if there's any chance of adoption, they're adopted. But we are the place, all the animals who are broken, crushed, hit by cars, birds, rabbits, even a horse once in a while come to us because nobody else will take them in and do the dirty work because that will upset the statistics they have about lives saved.
0: We don't care. You know, it drives me crazy when people that are vegan, uh, uh breed, get a dog from a breeder. I breed, I breeder don't get me started on breeders like that. I don't even, and then they have these special vets that do inseminations. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous when I think in LA, it was something like a thousand dogs get put to death every week in the shelter yeah. and, and. You know, I've never even had a puppy. I've always wanted a puppy just once in my life. Not not a purebred, but, you know, from the shelter, they have puppies too. And yes. this last uh, companion animal I have when I went to get her at a, I, I couldn't go to the shelter because I just cry. So I go to like the, they're like shelters, but they're, you know, like in rescue adoption organizations, centers. Right. Adoption centers. Exactly. It's a little bit less grueling for my sensitive uh, psyche. And so I went there, it was July 1st, 2015. 15. And I had seen a picture of this dog named Darby and it was three months old, a little dog and three weeks old, excuse me. And I thought, Oh, he's cute. I'll go get him. And I was on the way there and John Pierre, who you might've heard of called me up. He goes, what you doing? I said, Oh, we're going to go, you know, Sparky died two weeks ago. And so we're going to get another, uh, you know, another companion animal. And he goes, well, you take the oldest one there, or I'll never talk to you again. And oh, so we actually did. And we got the best dog we've ever gotten. She was the oldest one there that day. She was four at the time. And that's Bailey. I don't know where she is right now. And it's like the, literally uh, the, you know, the best little mutt, the uh, best, you know, it's very hard to get mutts anymore because now mutts are designer dogs. So technically I, I feel guilty because she's a Hava noodle, which I found out later is a breed where you take a Havanese and a poodle. They actually sell these. I, I mean, I didn't know it at at time because she was, you know, she, look, she doesn't look like she did now. She just looked like you know, a mop, but then we found out later. But um, Peaches wants to know, Peaches who's watching live, why do you think there's been such an increase in diets that contain meat? You know, like the carnivore diet, keto, paleo, it seems those seem to be so much more popular now than maybe even a few years ago.
1: Oh, it sells books, doesn't it? To have some wacky thing. We've had every kind of diet under the sun, the Canadian Mounted Police diet, (laughs) the police, the um, keto diet, the South Beach diet. Dr. Atkins, which was so disastrous. I mean, look at Dr. Atkins when he died, was overweight. I think almost obese, if not obese and had terrible uh, blood count and so on. Um, No, it just happens. These are fads. Veganism isn't a fad. You get away from um, animal products. I hate to call them products, but I suppose an egg is a product of a chicken and milk is a product of a cow and flesh is flesh. You get away from those and you clean out your arteries, you, you know, reduce your risk of heart disease, certain cancers like colon and breast, and stroke and high blood pressure and diabetes and so on. That's, I mean, wonderful for your health. I think most people are trying to lose weight when they buy a diet book and certainly going vegan. If it's low fat, you'll lose weight. You don't even have to think about it and you can stuff yourself silly. As long as you don't have grease or oil on things that, you know, we, we do. Someone gets a baked potato, the baked potato is great. And then they put a pound of butter on it. That's not so good. But yes, the vegan diet is for ethics, for health, it's for the environment. I say you can't be a meat and dairy eating environmentalist. There is absolutely no such thing because they're cutting down the rainforest to grow crops to feed chickens and cattle that end up exported all over the world. That cattle feed is coming from uh, the Amazon rainforest, which is fast disappearing.
0: Absolutely. You know, even if we change laws, how do we enforce them? Because Alexi was pointing out, the Department of Animal Control is so understaffed. We don't even have it here. The nearest one is an hour away. So if I reported an abuse, they're never gonna come.
1: You do hope that people, what happened originally before there were departments of animal control. I mean, there was the dog catcher years ago and go out and get strays who are nuisances to people. harrying. you know, people wanted them got rid of and people banded together and they started a humane society or they started an SPCA. So it's really back to, if you don't have it in your area trying to start one up and not uh, over ambitiously But just being able to do that also, trying to get to the city council or the county council and saying, you know, dogs don't dial the phone, people do. So you need to fund a proper animal shelter with good regulations, adoption standards, comfort standards. Even if you start small, this has to be done. But if you don't have one there, it's going to be up to people who do care to try and put one together. That's always how it has been
0: and from there it will grow. So I was raised Orthodox Jew and we don't hunt we did eat animals that were supposedly killed in a humane way like right you know cope. that's just ridiculous but we didn't hunt and we were against hunting and people that do hunt uh, you know they say well but if we didn't kill them there'd be too many of them so how do you how do you answer people like that?
1: I think animals weren't on earth a long time before humanity came along, waiting for us to come here so we could manage their populations. Whether you believe in nature or you believe in God, it was okay before human beings came along. Animals take care of their own populations. What happens, and of course, no one gives up their golf game to go out and shoot animals because otherwise they would be overpopulated. That's such poppycock. But what happens is, These game management, and that word game tells you anything, they're they're game species, they're bred specifically, the habitat is changed specifically, the hunting licenses are sold specifically to perpetuate or increase numbers of populations of these animals that are game, so that hunters can go out and shoot them as living targets. If hunting worked as an overpopulation control measure, Why would we have to do it every year? Why would there be more hunting licenses sold every year than the year before? It's revenue. You know, hello, we just need to wake up and see that. And these animals, I mean, they're not attacking us in our homes. The worst a deer is doing is eating your ornamental plants, which you planted where they used to eat. They don't have a supermarket, but that was their garden and now you can put your big house there and your garden and your plants and the things you think are pretty and then you want them killed because they dare to nibble at them. You know, hunting is, I think it's a sickness. We are not survivalists. We're not on the verge of of starvation. There are other things for us to eat. We can even grow food in a window box or a garden. I mean, we've got food at our fingertips. Food is very cheap in many places. Uh, So what are we doing buying ammunition, buying firearms, buying uh, camouflage outfits, buying vehicles that take us out into the woods, buying night vision uh, goggles and these high speed crossbows so that even this camouflage toilet paper for God's sake, Uh, what are we doing buying all that so that we can get the thrill of the kill? It's one thing to be a trophy hunter which is truly beyond sick, but it's a perversion. But it's also something you don't enjoy yourself by spending the day out in the woods trying to take the life of an individual who has a family, who has children, who has a mother, who has friends. What are you thinking about? And luckily only 5% or less, fewer than that, Americans hunt today.
0: Wow. What about people say, oh, but animals, they eat other animals.
1: Yeah, I don't think deer eat other animals or grouse or quail or pheasants or bunnies. Um, And those are the animals that we tend to hunt if you hunt. And they're also um, vegetarian animals that people tend to grill and roast and boil and bake. So lions, out of need, not greed, take usually the sickest, the frailest, the most fragile of the herd and thin it. I mean, it's not pleasant. I'm not a great lover of that kind of thing, but it's not greed, it's need. And it's only done for survival. And those are carnivores, true carnivores. We are not a true carnivore. We are just a pretend carnivore.
0: Absolutely. There, there's just so many animals to consider. Like we didn't even talk about fish, but Stacy just posted that they there's an organization near her, near her had a catch and release lesson today and she commented it's cruel. And they said they have, uh, how, how do you respond to them? They say that it's, it's helping teens. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just ridiculous.
1: It's helping teens lose their empathy for other living beings. It's helping teens Uh, be able to discriminate early in life based on looks, because people think, oh, a fish doesn't look that much like me, but they have eyes, they have a heart, they have fins where we have hands, they have a life. So it's rubbish, it should be protested, especially if it's with your tax money, Um, we should do that. Fish have feelings, their lips are very sensitive as we talked about earlier. If they're dragged out of the deep, their organs burst, their eyes can pop out of their heads, It's all hideously unpleasant just because they're unfamiliar. They have scales, we don't. So for some reason that makes it all right to hurt them. But no, fish are individuals like any other and they need to be left in peace. The best thing you can teach a teenager or a child is to be respectful of all forms of life.
0: What about bugs? Are they animals? Do we care about them too? And should we be doing things? not hurt them. I mean, not that I'm hurting bugs, but (laughs) people don't put bugs in the same category. You know what I'm saying? I do. I
1: think it's very hard for us to empathize down the line. You know, people say to me, well, where do you draw the line? Well, I like to think of where you draw it at the top, not at the bottom. Maybe we've not got down to the bottom yet of our own hierarchy, but we know that a cow or a rabbit or a badger or deer feel pain and suffer So we can at least start there. And I find that people who say, where do you draw the line, are usually trying to not start anybody uh, getting (laughs) to any animal. But, you know, if you hear about kids who are laughing, where they take a magnifying glass and burn ants or stomp on an anthill, uh, we don't have to do any of those things. I'm not about to criticize somebody who swats a mosquito. They do carry things which can be fatal to us or who removes a tick from their body, who cares? But we do have several things. We have a bug catcher where you can take a spider out of your
0: shower or out of your house. Oh my you God, see- we have that, it's called the bazooka, And now we, we, it's just, it's just, it sucks them up and then we can relocate them and they're unharmed. Yeah,
1: absolutely, exactly. I mean, what does it hurt to do that? Nothing. And then we do have lists. If you have small insects coming into your house, for that matter, if you have mice or rats coming into your house, I hope you don't, but if you do, we have ways in which you can deal with them humanely rather than take a uh, a wired up approach and poison them with these gut-wrenching poisons or so on. There is birth control now that cities like Baltimore and Washington are using to control rat populations. The only reason we have rat populations in the city is because we have a failure to dispose of our trash properly because human beings are pretty filthy and we leave trash everywhere and that's all they think they can eat, you know, is come in and scrounge off our leftovers. So, but we do have birth control now.
0: Nice. Uh, Alexi says, oh, excuse me, Monica says, is there anything planned against rape racks for cows? I don't think people even know that cows are raped. I think they just don't wanna know where their meat comes from.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm sure most people don't know about rape racks or the other ways in which animals are sexually molested on factory farms, and there are many of them. A rape rack is this metal device that farmers shove a cow into, keep her head forward. Sometimes they use um, this grip on her nose to stop her from trying to get out, which is terribly painful. They also use that grip on the nose of calves when they're taking their horns out of their heads, they're burning them out of their heads. Um, And then they bring in the bull, they tease the bull. She's ready to be bred, but she's raped by the bull or more commonly, A man with a long glove going up to uh, his shoulder sticks his hand into her rectum, feels for her uterus, and then inserts bull sperm through a long needle-like object into her vagina. And then she becomes pregnant. That is assault enough. I mean, rape is rape is rape. I don't care who you are. I mean, that's a violation. These female animals really get it badly on factory farms. But then almost 10 months later, she gives birth to the most beautiful calf. The love of her life, like all mothers, her eyes light up, her heart pounds. She adores this calf. And what do they do? They tie his legs together and drag him off by a tractor or they shove him in a wheelbarrow and cart him away. And she cries and cries. She loves him, she doesn't know where he's going. She will even follow the lorry, the truck, down the road. She will break through a fence if she can to try to get to her child. And of course, we've taken the child away so that we can steal the milk that was meant for that baby so that we can have cow's milk, pizza topping, and yogurt, and drink of milk with dinner. It's just so unfathomably cruel. If you think about it for a minute, Joaquin Phoenix, when he was getting his Oscar and doing these other BAFTA awards, he begged people to think of the mother cow losing her child. And how quickly people forget, which is why I say buy soy milk, oat milk, almond milk, buy it for people, give it to them, let them taste it and then show them the video too.
0: Caroline says, my husband has seen all the vegan movies, including Earthlings, and loves vegan food, but still doesn't wanna be vegan at all. What else could I do? She could divorce him, just kidding.
1: I was gonna say that actually, (laughs) time to move on. No, it isn't, you've got work to do there. Um, Well, hopefully if you cook, if you take control of the kitchen and you make sure, even if you don't like to cook, if you're not a good cook, It's worth it to, even if you get carry out from vegan restaurants, if you can, is feed the man, feed the man, feed the man. If his weight drops, if his blood pressure drops, if his cholesterol drops, maybe he'll listen a little bit more. So maybe it's not his heart in the way of emotion that you have to appeal to, but his heart with his arteries and everything else you have to appeal to. You will find, I am sure, over time, some way that he's going to come around. If not, then you can divorce him. But you
0: can't, you've got to, you've got to change him. Right, okay. so I've been posting the link to your book, Animal Kind. Could you just talk a little bit about it? Well, it was great fun
1: to write because I keep all these bits and pieces about animals' awe-inspiring talents and communication and navigational abilities. And I collected what I consider to be some of the funnest ones And I put them in this book. So the first part of the book, it's in two parts. First part of this book is about how animals talk to each other, how frogs will drum out messages, the way tribal peoples will drum in the jungle messages to each other, elephants communicate subsonically, lots about dogs who will bring you their bowl or their leash because you haven't been paying attention and they need to have something from you. Things about reindeer, they have different color eyes, blue in winter, yellow in summer, manufacture their own vitamin D. Uh, How fish can recognize themselves in a mirror and preen just like Kim Kardashian, which is a sign of great intelligence. All about languages, navigation, intelligence, motherly love, that's a big factor there, and love for each other. You know, swans, are usually together 95% from the time they meet their life partner until the time they die, whereas human beings have a 45% divorce rate. And pigeons are wonderful mothers and fathers. They both make milk for their babies in their crop, and they each feed their baby. And so I just talk about the wonders of animals. And there's some mysterious things in there, some stunning bits of information. And the second part is all the things that we can do in our regular lives that will make an enormous difference for the animals, for all the animal kingdoms on earth. It's just a great orchestra of life. We're only one part of it. And we need to be responsible, respectful, and not be speciesists.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. It was difficult hearing some of the things you had to say, but they had to be said. And, and really, I, I admire you so much and look up to you. And I, I thank you so much for the work you do and for PETA. I'm a, I'm a really big fan. And, and please let us know how we can help. And maybe we can.
1: Thank you, Chef AJ. Good luck to you and all the wonderful things you do too.
0: Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye.